Now is the time to accelerate innovation. T-Mobile for Business is powering Formula One Las Vegas Grand Prix operations and epic fan experiences with secure, reliable 5G connectivity. Because an event this big and this fast deserves a network that can set the pace. See what our 5G advanced network solutions can do for your business at T-Mobile.com slash now. View 5G device coverage and access details at T-Mobile.com. BP added more than $70 billion to the U.S. economy in 2022. Investments like acquiring America's largest biogas producer, Arkea Energy, and starting up new infrastructure in the Gulf of Mexico. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. This is Tracy V. Wilson from Stuff You Missed in History Class. The national sales event is on at your Toyota dealer, making now the perfect time to get a great deal on a dependable new car. Like a legendary Camry built for performance and available with all-wheel drive, you can count on your new Camry to get anywhere you need to go. Or check out an affordable and reliable Corolla with a trim for every lifestyle. From the hip sedan to the sporty hatchback, there's a Corolla built just for you. Check out more national sales event deals when you visit buyatoyota.com. Toyota, let's go places. Today's episode is brought to you by the American Society of Magical Negroes, a fresh satirical comedy about a secret society of magical black people starring Justice Smith, David Allen Greer, Anne Lee Bogan, and Nicole Byer. As an official selection of Sundance 2024, the American Society of Magical Negroes has been heralded by critics as an uproariously sharp-edged satire and a must-see. Only in theaters this Friday. Visit the American Society of Magical Negroes film.com to get tickets now. What's going on, everybody? I'm Peanut Tillman. This is my guy, Roman Harper, and this is the NFL Player Second Acts Podcast. We're in Phoenix, Arizona at the NFL Annual Meetings. We've got golf. We've got sunshine. We're trying to hit the ball straight. I'm terrible at golf. You got a like a, a two scratch. You're a two scratch golfer. Don't be lying to that people. Don't be lying to them <laughs> like that. Because I'm going to tell you to continue to follow us because we won't lie to you on this podcast here. Give us a follow. Hit like, follow, give us a review or a comment anywhere you listen to your podcast at, whether it's iHeartRadio or Apple Podcasts. Please tell a friend to tell a friend to tell a friend. Come check us out. This is what we do. We bring you top tier guests, former players that are now all in their second acts doing great things. And we got two good ones today. We got two former players that are now head coaches. We have the Jacksonville Jaguars head coach, Doug Peterson, and the new head coach of the Carolina Panthers, Frank Reich. Check it out. Today, we got a special guest with us. This gentleman is the head coach of the Jacksonville Jaguars. He previously played for the Packers. He won a Super Bowl when he played with the Packers, and he won a Super Bowl when he was a head coach with the Philadelphia Eagles. Welcome to the show, Doug Peterson. There it is. Appreciate oh, it, guys. Thanks. You know what? Let's just get the awkwardness out of the way. Coach, with the Eagles, could how, what was it like? To be in Philadelphia to win a championship, playing in Philadelphia under Sean, well, Sean Payton and the Saints, we go to Philly. He was like, "Look, the game, the game plan is to get the crowd to boo by halftime. 
because it is so rough, and the fans there are so special, and they are so unique. They're what mean. did it mean? Don't even <laughs> say unique. Mean. They're mean. <laughs> they're like, <laughs> bring, help bring a championship to that just, city yeah. they're after different. so long. What was that like? It was, um, it, it's very special. I played in that city. Uh, I worked with Coach Reed on his staff in that city, and obviously uh-huh. I was a head coach in that city. And it's, um, you just said something right there when you were with the Saints and, and Coach Payton said, hey, if we can jump up and you know, yeah. the, the crowd's going to turn. Well, I took a Jacksonville Jaguar team in there in week four, week uh-huh. three or four this past year, and I said the exact same thing. <laughs> I said, guys, if we get up on this on this guy, on these guys, the crowd is going to turn. And it was four, we were up 14 nothing, about to go in 21 nothing, and – the crowd was turning on them. It was turning on them. But, but that's their that's their passion. And yeah. and for for us to win a championship that year, um, the way we won it with the guys that we won it with, uh, you know, as you guys know, it's a special it's a special bond. We've right, all been in right. the locker room. We all understand what that means. And and uh, you know, we lost some guys that year. Uh, but for the city of Philadelphia to wait fifty two years, and that organization to win a championship, yeah, you know. Coach Reed took him to a Super Bowl, yeah. and I have a lot of respect for Coach Reed. Mm-hmm. They lost. He's been to like five or six NFC Championship games with yeah. the Eagles, you know. And and so for us that year, um, it's it's very special. And um, you know, hate to say it, but there's a lot of Eagle fans around this country yeah. that I run into all the time. I yeah. just couldn't get down with the grease on the the poles. Then they like. Oh, they didn't want they, them to climb up them and to tear them down. But they were still climbing up the poles. They were still though. climbing up That's poles and like, trees and they just and, uh, y'all. Everything. Well, yeah, they just different. They yeah, got that a, a little jail cell in, in the. They had like a yeah, judge. There's a like, little holding room in there in the stadium. Yeah. I mean, it's just. Philly's Philly, man. I mean, yeah. uh, I think that's I think that's what makes Philly so unique, and, and a lot of respect for those fans. Yes. And and I tell you, they're they're passionate, but they're loyal. Mm-hmm. I mean, we I hate to say it, we could be four and ten, and they're still going to show out. They're still going to pack that you know that stadium, and and you know they're going to hang with you all season long. So, how would you compare Eagles fans to Packer fans? Now, Packer fans are like, oh, you know that that real deep. Wisconsin, oh, you know, they got oh, that yeah. that real thing. You've been there. Oh, I've been there a, f- a few times. I feel like they're like the nicest fans, though. Like I, I, they are extremely nice and loyal in the cold, and they get so much snow. They okay, don't throw okay. snowballs at you. Now. Hold on, hold on. <laughs> Brett Favre, Aaron Rodgers. Yeah. They've had two quarterbacks for like 50 years there. It's true. Or some crazy thing. Very true. You know what I'm saying? So, yeah. They've had it well. They've had it good. They've mm-hmm. been to. They've had a lot of success. They've been to a lot of playoff games, mm-hmm. a couple Super Bowls. So, it's a different crowd. But you're right. They. It's a. It's a. Um. um you know, in this in the, in the winter time, you're going to see nothing but blaze orange. Yeah. You know, because they just got got out of the the hunting woods the hunt, or whatever, yeah. <laughs> and, and they they came to a game at, at twelve noon. Um, but again, they're 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 very loyal. They're very supportive. They're passionate about the Packers. Uh, I loved playing there for the eight years that I did. Um, and again, there's a lot of Packer fans around this country, and I still run into a lot of them. Yeah, um, they travel well. They do. They, they do travel, travel well. well. So yeah. when you so when you were in Green Bay, um, I was you know, backing on Brett Favre. Like, what what was that experience like for you? And how did you make it last so long? Being his not just the back the backup to him, but that quarterback room. What was yeah. that like? Because you had a lot of great coaches there too, <laughs> and all those. Uh, the, the I had streets. Steve Mariucci in '95 yeah. when I went there, and then and then it transitioned to to Marty Mordenweg, and then ultimately we had Andy Reid. Yeah, you know Andy Reid was our position coach there, um, 
and you know Daryl Bevel, who, yeah. who's still coaching, he's in Miami right now. Um, you know, he was one of our position coaches at mm-hmm. the time. So we've had a lot of a lot of great coaches. You know, coaches Tom Rossley was the offensive coordinator at the time. You know, and and then you know in our room there was there was Brett, there was Jim McMahon, there was Matt Hasselbeck. I forgot Jim, yeah, when um, we left the Bears. You know, yeah. Matt Hasselbeck was in I there. Matt, yeah. You know, we've we've had, you know, Henry Burris. Who, who, oh my good from Canada from Can- Canada yeah. Hall of Fame. He won a what you call it in Canada. <laughs> yeah. great, you don't great even cup. know who Henry Burris is. I did. Is. He won a great cup. Do. Yes. Oh played, my god. Played in Chicago yeah. for a couple years. He won years. a great cup, right? Won a great cup. Yeah. yeah. Won a great cup. So we've had we've had really really good uh, quarterback rooms. Um, obviously, they were very lighthearted rooms. So yeah. Rooms. There was football being taught, <laughs> but uh, we we enjoyed each other and had had uh, had a great time. So Doug. Following up that question, so after you finished your career, uh, playing-wise, when did you know you wanted to get in coaches? You just rattled off seven different great head coaches that were all around you at your different times in Green Bay. Uh, we didn't even talk about with Derek Ro- Coach Rhodes was coaching defense too on the. Other- I wasn't with him though. Okay, I wasn't, okay. we missed. I okay. missed. I missed Coach Rhodes. That's yeah. fine, but yeah. you still had a, an influence of. All kinds of coaches. So yes. when did you know that you want to get in that profession? So my my last my last two years in Green Bay, um, I really started thinking. You know, I was the backup quarterback, and it really started getting me um, thinking about what I wanted to do after football, how I wanted to transition. I, I wanted to stay in football mm-hmm, somehow, mm-hmm. some way, and so the wheels started turning. And it was not till that last year in two thousand four that I really felt like coaching was going to be in my future. I just didn't know at what level, whether right. it was going to be high school, college, pro. You know, I, I spent a lot of time with coaches, picking their mm-hmm. brains, you know, to see just – as you guys know, the grind of a season, the grind a of lot. a year. It's a lot. It's and, a lot of time. What, the, what these coaches yeah. go through, I'm like, do, I really, really want, want to do, do I really want to do that? <laughs> you know, maybe or, or if you college – you know, if you're a college coach, you're on the road recruiting. Recruiting, yeah. You two cell phones, you know, it's a recruiting phone and your personal – I don't know if I want to do that. And so I settled on high school football. Uh, Mike Sherman, who was my head coach in Green Bay when I when I stepped away, um, gave me some great advice because he was a high school football coach, you know, uh, in, in his time. And he said, he said, Doug, he said, just you got to find a place where you enjoy teaching the game of football. Yeah. Wherever you can go and just teach the game, figure out where that is for you and then and then plug in. And so for me, it was it was high school. So I. As soon as I retired, I got into high school football down in Shreveport, Louisiana. Oh, nice. Okay. And, yeah. And I did that for four years. What school? What school? Calvary. Was... Calvary Academy. Okay. I was in there with Evangel Christian. I was going to say, did you have to match up with them? Oh, yeah. Evangel was pretty yeah, good. Yeah, they, they, the... they beat the brakes off us a couple times. <laughs> um, but, yeah, I did high school coaching for four years. But in in my – Was that immediately after you right retired? After right retired. after I retired. Right after. So yeah. no time off. 2005, just... I, got, I had no time head off. Head coach or position? Head. Head coach. Oh, wow. Okay. Yeah, I went right in as a head coach. Okay. Um, and did that for four years, but there was still something inside of me that there was more. Okay. Right? There was more. And having been in the league for a combined total of about 14 years mm-hmm. on and off, you know, when you're around the game, you, you want to get to that next level. And mm-hmm. so uh, Andy Reid had a, had a quality control job mm-hmm. open and hired me in 2009 uh, to come back to Philadelphia as a quality control guy. So I jumped from high school back into the NFL. So did you have any other plans or career plans or goals, aspirations, I would say, outside of coaching when you were done? No. <laughs> this is a no, one. It was like, <laughs> man, I'm, I'm going all right in the middle of the table. Yeah. Chips are all cash, in the middle of the table. I'm like, here we go. <clears throat> yeah. No, I, I, you know, I'm a business major. I got a degree in business. But I was like, I don't think I really want to sit 
behind a desk or, or no. you know, I'm not the type that's going to go sell something. Yeah. yeah. You know, I I was a football guy. Yeah. And, and so, um, I mean, you yeah, could sell me with in. being a head coach, though. Like, yeah, you could. I'm feeling it now. Like, you yeah. could, you could sell me with it. You could sell me with that. I, I, I like your I like your confidence. How was what are those conversations like, though, when you, you know, you typically it's the OCDC and then you have a successful season or two and then your name kind of gets floated around to becoming a head coach like what are those conversations like is it just are you on the phone talking to other teams is it your um your agent like hey i got some news um philadelphia eagles want to possibly your your name's being it's tossed a around and a good question because you asked sean something very similar to this yesterday yeah like how does how does that even like occur or how does it arise about you so becoming for, yeah. a head coach? So for me, for me, I was the offensive coordinator in Kansas City with uh, with Andy Reid, mm -hmm. you know, because we when Andy got fired in Philly in 2012, got hired in 2013, he brought me as, as offensive coordinator. I, I was just a quarterback coach in mm -hmm. Philly, left to go be his OC. And then, you know, we had, we had early success in Kansas City. Alex Smith was our quarterback. Yep. And we had early success for those first two, three years. Well, as you guys know, in this in this business, OCs and DCs, when you have success, their names start to pop mm -hmm. up around yep. the different circles for for head coaches. And and so for me, my agent, you know, had been been kind of talking to um, you know some of these different circles, the guys that you know the powers to be around the NFL. And and um, you know, actually, it was in 2014, my name had come up the first time, and and I I told my agent, I said, I'm not ready, I'm not ready to be a head coach. I need I need another year. I'm yeah. just I'm just not there yet, um, so I played or coached the 2015 season, and that's when that's when Philadelphia and there was a lot of familiarity with going back to yeah. Philadelphia for me. Uh, it was a good transition, good fit, and um, got hired in 2016. So in that that little time where you were like I'm not ready, did you start to prepare in another way? Did you start to say okay I might need to think about you do. some other avenue? You you need you do. to do that. You do. Yeah. You have to you have to really transition your mind from. You know, you're, you're an offensive coordinator coaching one side of the ball. Right now, you got to think big picture. Yeah, now you got to think organizationally. Yeah, and not just the football side, but you're also dealing with the business side. Right, and business so for major. me, yeah, yeah. <laughs> so for me, it was about okay, learning learning more of of the business side too, mm -hmm. and 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 you know. Um, but do you do that as? Like, so when you're the OC and you're under, like, I think Andy Reid, we can say he can be a Hall of Fame coach one day. Like, yeah. he's an, an amazing coach. But you're you're doing a job calling all the plays and, and getting the offensive side of the ball or offensive uh, players ready. Do you get coached as the OC? Are you actually, like, taking notes on how Coach Reid is running the team, how Coach Reid is running the business, how Coach Reid is – interacting with the team how coach reed is doing everything with the gm and the pro personnel in college like did you start taking notes of like okay this is what he this is what he does okay he does this he does that like are you still getting coached yourself you know it's it's interesting because the three years i was in kansas city being the offensive coordinator i got to spend a lot of time with coach reed because he's an offensive mind and, and all and so we we did game plans together yeah. and the whole mm -hmm. thing so those three years he really started pouring into me what it was like to be a head coach. Okay. And so for three years, I was just like a sponge, just absorbing everything that he, all his knowledge and wisdom and, and everything. Cause you know, he, he spent 14 seasons as the head coach in, in Philadelphia yeah. before he went to Kansas city. And right. so this is the first time sort of behind the scenes look for me of what a head coach looks like. And, and so 
he but he does that with <clears throat> with all of his guys. You look at the Sean McDermott's and the Ron Rivera's and mm-hmm. the guys that have you know Matt Nagy's and the, the Eric Bieniemy's of the world and, and those guys that are going to go on to have been head coaches Damn. and will be head coaches. Who is that? That's you know. Like- you just named like six head coaches that, that came off of him. I just I guess I didn't realize that. You know, but but that's what he does. Yeah. And, and he he's more about coaching his coaches mm-hmm. than he is coaching the players. Yeah. You know, and um and that's what he did for the three years. And I that's uh you just gotta be a sponge and take it all in. So when your when your coaching career ended with the Eagles, all right, you you really took a you took a whole year off. I did. And um how important was that for you to take a full year off to kind of decompress? I did that after my career uh, playing years. Peanut did not. I did not. So Foolish. What would you say was the reasoning behind that, and would you suggest it for others? The reasoning for me, um, coming off of the 2020 seasons, right after the 2020 seasons, that's the pandemic season. It, yeah. was, mm-hmm. it, was, it was rough on all, all clubs, mm-hmm. and it was obviously rough on us in Philadelphia. We, we didn't play well quarterback issues and, yeah. and things like that and I was not in a good place mm. mentally physically I just was not in a good place and and um, <clears throat> looking back on it it was probably a, a blessing to, yeah. to be released because I did take I did I needed I needed time I yeah. needed time you know for me I needed to get away from the game I needed to get away from from football and just separate myself just a little bit and really kind of clear your head mm-hmm. and really think about what what life is going to look like either either you're going to step away from the game and retire or do I want to continue and and coach and and so as the 21 season went and I I did you know I had some issues with my brother and and um you know he passed away to pancreatic cancer that Mm -hmm. year so I got to spend a lot of time with my brother yeah I appreciate it and spend a lot of time with him and his wife and so there were life things we had a wedding our oldest son got married that year so there's things in life that come up that Mm -hmm. sometimes as you guys know in football you, you miss, right? You miss. Sometimes the job precedes family. And, and that's, you know, you don't, you don't like that, right? So this gave me a chance to really uh, dig into the family a little bit and be around family and, and um, also give me a perspective to how, if given an opportunity again, how to, how to coach again and how to be a better coach and how to really influence players, right, and how to, how to lead an organization, lead a team, um, because I knew I, I, it didn't take long. It took a couple months, but I, I knew I wanted to get back into coaching. It wasn't, I wasn't done. I, yeah. was, I was young. I'm young. I'm in, you know, mid fifties, but I'm relatively yeah. young. Rome is too. He's like know. mid 50 something. Y'all got the same, same, same hair. <laughs> Y'all like mid fifties. You know, we got that yeah. gray word. It, it, it ain't going nowhere. It ain't going nowhere. It ain't going nowhere. But yeah, so that year was really good. So I, you know, but you look at Frank Reich, Frank Reich got, let go during the middle, yeah. middle of the season, and and he got right back into it this year, which mm-hmm. for some is different, right? Yeah. It's just, but for me, it was what I needed at the time to get back in, um, because that window of opportunity closes so fast in this league that uh, I didn't want that to pass by either, um, mm-hmm. you know. And I had opportunities to yeah. be a coordinator again in twenty one. I just the teams were not going to get the best version of me, right? Right, because I wasn't a I wasn't a bad place. Uh, mentally and physically kudos for you for like realizing that and kind of stepping away and thanks for sharing that I I, I think a lot of people need to do more of the you know what I just need 
take my time off, take my 365. You got great advice. Who who told you to take your time off? Your your GM? My GM. Yeah, Mickey Loomis told Mickey me. Mickey Loomis? Mickey yeah. Loomis said, you know, if you want to be involved with football in any shape, form, or fashion, he said, I would suggest you take take some time. Take a year off. Like, you've been able good. You played a long career. You made plenty of money. Take some time. Really decompress and then figure out, like, self-reflect and, like, yeah. really get away from the game and then say, you might start missing it again, kind of like maybe what you did. Yeah. Uh, well, and you start, you start, you start feeling better, and you feel like you can be a better version of yourself. Yeah. The next time around, right? Because of the experiences that you went through. Yeah. Um, you know, leading up to that decision. And this was like, that was your first break because you stopped playing. <laughs> you went right into coaching. Yeah. Stop yeah. playing high school coaching, <laughs> NFL coaching. So yeah, it was your first it, break. It was my first break in a long time. Yeah. 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 Good. Well. Yeah. Good you know? for both of y'all for doing. I don't. I don't think I ever took time off i just kind of kept going so i'm I'm envious of both of y'all for for doing that but yeah that's another another topic another day uh so when you were in philly uh jalen hurts you guys drafted him and it probably wasn't received well around the league now i know you're not with we talked about these philly fans booing so that's yeah, just natural yeah, reaction it is is natural but it wasn't very well received in the beginning mm -hmm. right i know you're no longer there but uh, he's gone out, played well, you know, had a MVP, MVP caliber season. What was it about Jalen that drew you to like liking him and drafting him? So I was there obviously when we drafted him in 2020. Mm -hmm. Um, and we're, we're sitting there on day two of the draft, uh, on Friday and, you know, um, Howie Roseman, um, Jeffrey Lurie, myself, I can remember having a conversation saying, hey, if, if, if Jalen is sitting there at our pick, we should pick him. We should take him. Mm -hmm. And I was like, yeah, all of us were like, yes, yes. And it wasn't to, it wasn't to draft him to replace Carson Wentz at the yeah. time. It, it, we, you, in this league, you need two quarterbacks. You need, mm -hmm. you need a solid backup quarterback. And so we felt like that th this, was our, this was a great option. He's a tremendous athlete, good quarterback, smart kid. But – before all of that, I've had a chance to talk to Brian Dable, who coached him in Alabama, yeah. right? Um, uh, Lincoln Riley at Oklahoma. You know, I, I talked to a lot of people, and just watching his film and knowing his story, this guy is this guy is wired the right way. This guy is a football player. Yeah, and I just felt that if this kid gets an opportunity, wherever whether it's in Philly or maybe somewhere else down the road. This kid is going to shine. I just, I just felt that in my heart of hearts, just understanding who he is. Mm -hmm. And so for the short, you know, one year that I was with him, I saw that. I saw his work ethic, um, the way he prepared, and he was, he was the backup. He was, he started the season like the third quarterback, and then he made him made his way to the second, and then ultimately he played and started the last four games of the season that year. But I, I just knew that if this kid. If this kid gets an opportunity, he's he's going to do some really good special things, and you know we've seen it here now, not only last year but this past season, uh, or I should say two seasons ago, and then this last year, um, just what what he's capable of doing. And and I had a chance to see him back in February, and just uh, you know just tell him how proud I was of him and how he's he's battled through Philly a lot of fans adversity. Oh, you. Yeah. Like you know. they, they owe you a ton well, for, I, for bringing him in. I think his former player, as a former player, it really does mean the most when you have your former colleagues, your coaches that you pass through times and 
they really still all keep up with you. And oh, yeah. They're, yeah, yeah. They're, they're, and when they you hear those words like, hey, I'm watching, I'm proud of you, we do take that for granted. So, well, we don't take it for granted, and it does mean a lot. And I'm sure you had that when you were a former player and would yeah. run to other coaches. Yeah. other and coaches stuff. and stuff like that. Yeah. Tell you, tell you those kinds of things, yes. Yeah. And, it uh, means, means a lot. It Chris does, Ballard it does. was my guy. Chris Ballard yeah. drafted me, so... I could oh, I could talk to Chris and I could text Chris right now and I tell everyone to this day, man, I came to Chicago because Chris Ballard he saw something in me, the heart of hearts, and was just like, no, I'm telling you, get this kid from Louisiana Lafayette. I know no one knows the school, nobody <laughs> knows where it's at, but draft this kid. He's I know yeah. where it's at. I know where it's at. <laughs> well, yes, yeah, the Louisiana connects. I appreciate it though, no <laughs> doubt. So so Doug, um, in your current situation, we all have heard the stories about how toxic the situation was in Jacksonville before you arrived. And what could you say was the biggest thing um, and how important, sorry, not the biggest thing, but how important was it for you to change that culture? You know, the biggest thing for me, and again, this was all part of 21 being out of football. Right, how right. was I going to be the better version right. of myself? And then when, when the Jacksonville thing started gaining a little more traction and then that might be the, the landing spot for me, I had to kind of research the situation a little bit and see just kind of went on down, what went on down there. And, mm-hmm. um, <clears throat> Yeah, it wasn't good. It wasn't yeah. good. Um, the the players the players were really in a bad in a bad place, you know, yeah. mentally uh, coming out of that season. And and for me for me it was about okay, I'm the next head coach standing in front of these guys. How are they going to trust me? Mm-hmm. Because they they lost faith and trust yeah. in, the, in the in the head coach before. So how are they going to trust me? I'm just I'm a head coach figure. Right, so I didn't even know if I was going to have players at the off-season program. Right, voluntary everybody's program. Out. Everybody's, everybody's out. out, and they're like, "I ain't going." <laughs> you know, he we we got we got drove in the ground. Our practices were hard. I mean, this is the off-season. I mean, yeah. like, you know. So I put together a message um, to the guys that first day, and and I actually did it over the course of a couple of weeks. But we I talked a lot about communication. I talked a lot about that. I talked a lot about trust. You know, and, and, and me trusting you, you trusting me. Um, I talked a lot about the people that we surround ourselves with, right? The the, the right people in our building, outside of our building. Mm-hmm. And, and so I just kept formulating these ideas with the players. And slowly over time, I think I was able to gain their trust, right? And, and, and then, you know, we just kind of worked through, you know, because there were questions like, Coach, how are these OTA practices going to go? I said, what do you mean? We're going to be out there an hour and 20 minutes. We're going to get our work done. We're going to be done. What are you, what are you talking about? It's going to be easy. You know, we're going to meet and lift some weights and you can go home. Six yeah. hour day. Wow. You know, <laughs> you go get paid, whatever. Um, but, but I think too, I think they had respect for me because I, I sat in their chair, you know, as yeah. a former player mm-hmm. and, and I could relate to them. And, and so there's a, there's a lot of that that goes back and forth um, that, that really sort of impacted our football, football team really heading into training camp that year and still really not knowing how we were going to do, yeah. you know, I, I felt like we could be a, a 500 ball club that first year. Yeah. Um, but, uh, you know, we exceeded probably everybody else's expectations, but our own, as you guys know, you, you only you believe in yourself yeah. and your team and you felt like you're a good football team. And, and we did some good things last year. So one of the things we all have our welcome to the NFL moment, right? I know we all have them as players, but I'm going to switch it up, and I'm going to ask you, what was your welcome to the NFL moment as a head coach? Like, what what was that moment for you? He's like, damn, so this is what it's like to be a head coach. Like, I didn't, <laughs> I didn't, I didn't see that coming. And it just, like, really, like, holy. 
you know what? It kind of it kind of yeah. shook me. What what was that moment? I, it was actually my first my first regular season game in Philadelphia in 2016. We played the Cleveland Browns at home at Lincoln Financial, and my you know I coached the preseason games, and it was like, oh yeah, these are great preseason <laughs> games, but this is the regular yeah. season. Yeah, and and that ball teed up and it kicked off, and I went, oh boy. In my mind, I'm like, okay, this just got real. Because <laughs> now you're, you're 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 managing the game. Yeah, I got a little red flag in my pocket that oh, I may you, have you to throw. throw yeah, you know, I've got I've got to call timeouts, and you know, I've got to. Oh wait, I got to, I got to flip to the defensive side, and I got to listen to what Coach Schwartz is talking about. You know, and so it it just it just became for me it just became kind of that aha like this is real. This yeah. is now. Okay, I kind of like it, but at the same time, you're, you're kind of paranoid a little bit. That's the first time I've heard a, a coach say that. It's like, man, this has got real. I heard players say it all the time, but a coach, you the first one was like, I'm gonna tell you something. It gets real because you're, you're, you know. And then at the end of the, we won the game. Um, plus, we're playing a rookie quarterback, Carson Wentz, rookie first game. Yeah, rookie. he's a rookie. You know, so there's a lot of things kind of going against you a little bit in that in that first uh, that first deal. We ended up seven and nine that season, but. Um, you learn, yeah. right? You learn. You learn from the good, the bad, the ugly, as we say. And um, each week we got a little bit better, and and uh, ended up winning a championship right. in year two. Now pick one real quick, because I got to know this. I know they want us to hurry up. I know we only got a couple minutes, but who are you rooting for in this past Super Bowl? The Eagles or the Chiefs? I plead the fifth. Okay, all right. I'll accept that answer. I will accept that answer. It was very close, but I had to know. I, I, yeah. I had to know. That's it's a good right. one. That's a good one. It's all good. Read, read between the lines. Here we go. All right. Here's a good one, then, Doug. Who is on your personal Mount Rushmore of influence? Not just football, but in life for you. Well, you, you got four. I get four. Because some people might not know how many on Mount Rushmore. I so. get it. I, didn't. I, I understand. Just, but one of them, one of them is... My Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. He's okay, number one. Good. Love okay, it. He's number one. Um, number two, I would definitely have to put Andy Reid okay. up there. Um, the impact he had, not only as my playing career, but but as my coaching career, professional career. Sure. Um, Andy Andy would be one of those. Uh, my dad. My dad's on that list. Okay. My dad passed away. He never got to see me coach a head football. Uh, mm. As a head coach, he never got to see me coach mm. a game. He passed away, actually, the last preseason weekend oh. right before the first regular right before that Cleveland Browns game yeah, yeah before the kickoff so he passed away that week before so he never got to see me uh, head coach so but he's on there the impact he had uh in my life as a you know he coached me coached me hard mm -hmm. probably shaped a lot of my uh beliefs and, and the way the way I am mm -hmm. um um today and then the fourth one um the fourth one for me I could name. I, there's a lot of guys that that have inf influenced or shaped shaped my career. I'll tell you this: Mike Holmgren was another head coach yeah. I had in Green Bay. Yeah, he pulled me aside. I was I was playing. He pulled me aside during during training camp, and um, we were actually passing each other in the building. And he he told me he says he said Doug, you're you're a good quarterback, but you can be so much better. He says you need to you need to really focus on taking your game to another to another level you know the offense you know what to do you can manage the whole thing but it's now yeah. it's kind of like just cut it loose yeah right don't hold back just go cut it loose take it to another to another notch and and that really challenged me from a player's perspective but it also has challenged me now a little bit 
you know, because back in 17, we were, you know, I was thinking about, you know, do all these fourth down decisions and two point conversion decisions. Mm -hmm. And, you know, it's like taking your team to another level. It's like cutting the guys loose. Don't hold the guys back. Um, and, And so for me, those would be the four guys I would put up there. Um, that have really great shaped, yeah. that really shaped and, and influenced <laughs> yeah. uh, you know my career. Now was that uh, is that baby Jesus or is that the old Jesus? Is it 30, 30, 32 year old Jesus or is it the baby Jesus? <laughs> Tell the nigga knights if those Tell that don't know that. It's a great I caught on to that one. I had to, I had baby to ask. Jesus. <laughs> this is a full grown Jesus. <laughs> <laughs> okay, my last question though is um, we retire every year. And you, when you were retiring, you were trying to figure out what should I do next. What would your advice be on a player that is retiring after this season, going into retirement? What What would your advice be to him? Wow. Um, first of all, if 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 somebody if somebody is either if they're contemplating retirement or mm-hmm. thinking about retirement, um, just just make sure that it's 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 the right decision because. You know, I feel like that when, when when guys get in that in that situation, one, there's probably something waiting for them, right? Post mm-hmm. post, you know, career, mm-hmm. right? Uh, whether it's still in the business or or somewhere else, uh, you know. So that that usually pulls guys guys in a different in different directions um, that way. But you know, the advice is just to en- enjoy, reconnect with your families. Right. Reconnect with your, your friends, Re- reconnect some of the relationships that sometimes football um, can can tug on yeah. uh, just a little bit. I, you think about our, our spouses. I mean, they, you know, they're the ones that probably sacrifice the most in mm-hmm. this, in this, especially on the coaching side, you yeah. know, because the time away and they're the ones that are, um, you know, running the kids to schools and grocery shopping and keeping the house together and, and all that kind of stuff. And uh, so reconnecting, reconnecting right there, but just enjoy it. Enjoy Enjoy the memories. Enjoy your teammates. Um, as you head into retirement, look back on your career. You know, enjoy those moments that um, the bonds that you had in the locker room. I think those are the ones you carry for a lifetime. Right. Right. right? Those those friendships, whether it's you've been on, you know, multiple teams or one team. Um, but but just enjoy it. Enjoy life. Um, sit back and you know. Um, just think about the next chapter and the direction you want to go. Cool. Well, that's, that's a wrap. Appreciate it, man. Thanks, Thanks so guys. much for joining yeah. us, man. This really great. appreciate it. Thank appreciate you. Appreciate it. Thank you. How can you not root for the Jacksonville Jaguars after listening to Doug or Coach Peterson? Um, I'm really excited. I didn't really know a ton about him. But I'm really rooting for him now, moving forward, and in, in, in the decisions and where this organization is going. Like I'm, I'm really excited about where they're going and what he's doing. I think he should be, Doug. He really showed himself. He was very natural, very candid with us, and really opened up about his own experiences as being a head coach and yeah. also a former player. Across America, BP supports more than 275,000 jobs to keep energy flowing. Jobs like building grid-scale solar energy in Ohio and producing gas with fewer operational emissions in Texas. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. 
Hey guys, this is Matt Jones, Drew Franklin from the Fade This Podcast. We got a great episode coming up. Picks in all the sports, football, basketball, we do them all. But here's a preview of this week's episode. Nothing to do with anyone personally, but Creighton is the team every year that the nerds, you know, the basketball nerds, they're like, you know, who's ready to catch Creighton? You don't watch Creighton. They play, and I'm like, I don't want to watch Creighton because I agree with Shannon the dude today. Creighton's never going to win anything. Stop talking to me about Creighton. They're not never the, not, gonna, the, not the Big East tournament. Well, I mean, they could maybe they win the Big East tournament, but it'll only be luck. But like, they're always like, you know, a sleeper team that could, like that guy who I told you had eight title teams. One of his title teams was Creighton. Is not winning the national championship. It's yeah, I don't not, have him doing that. That like that's why do we all have to act like Creighton is a, is a is a good team. Creighton's like the band they all say you should know if you really knew bands. <laughs> and then they're never at any of the never, Yeah, exactly. And it comes time for the Grammys and they lose out to, like, you know, Lil Dirk. And you're like, see, I knew Lil Dirk was better. Why are you, t- why are you telling me? You've seen the whole time. <laughs> and this episode was brought to you in partnership with DraftKings. To hear more, listen and subscribe to Fade This on iHeartRadio or wherever you listen to podcasts. Hey guys, Rob Parker here to tell you the national sales event is on at your Toyota dealer. Making now the perfect time to get a great deal on a dependable new Toyota truck like the rugged half-ton Tundra. Workhorse by nature, powerhouse by design, the Tundra combines raw capability with premium comfort and advanced tech to fuel your wildest adventures. And with the available iForce Max hybrid powertrain, you can take electrifying horsepower further than ever before or check out the fully redesigned Tacoma delivering trail dominating power and captivating style the new Tacoma was born to make your off-roading dreams come true and with the new available tech this legendary truck is getting even better and when you buy a Toyota truck you buy Toyota dependability meaning your truck will hold its value long into the future so visit your local Toyota dealer and check out amazing national sales event deals when you visit buyatoyota.com Toyota, let's go places Now is the time to accelerate innovation T-Mobile for Business is powering Formula One Las Vegas Grand Prix operations and epic fan experiences with secure, reliable 5G connectivity Because an event this big and this fast deserves a network that can set the pace See what our 5G advanced network solutions can do for your business at tmobile.com slash now. View 5G device coverage and access details at tmobile.com. This next coach we're going to be listening to, Frank Wright, really excited about everything he's doing for the Carolina Panthers and going forward. Let's listen in on his experiences and what brought him to this place and where he's leading this organization. Our next guest, and I'm get to do the honors of introducing this man, this young man right here. He's currently the head coach for the Carolina Panther. He's a two-time Super Bowl champion, winning a ring with the Colts and the Eagles. He also played quarterback in the NFL for 13 years. Mr. Frank, well, coach, head coach, Frank Wright. Now, no, 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 but I wasn't all the way done here because I want to talk about the press conference when you got introduced to the Carolina, as the Carolina Panthers' latest head coach. I thought your family, you were good, but the family overall was excellent. Love it. You guys had the Carolina Blues nailed down. The lighting was excellent. Your speech was great. They showed the highlight tape of you throwing the first First touchdown pass in Carolina Panthers' history. It was to 
Pete Meslars, the tight end, as a matter of fact, they had white jerseys on. He had Pete Meslars there. He had a whole bunch of his former teammates there. The Carolina Panthers really went all out. David Tepper, everybody, Mrs. Wright, the daughter, everybody looked great that day. It was beautiful. I must say, I was amazed. I was wild. And now I'm in the presence of greatness. So thank you for being here. <laughs> hey, I love love that intro. And yeah, the, it was a great day. Um, and when you have three daughters, you know, you got to get the fashion right, right? Right. It was got, on point. How old, are, how old are your daughters? Uh, the daughters are all married, so they're 33, 31, and uh, 27. Yeah, so, the husbands look good too. Everybody yeah. was in the, the colors. Yeah. Grandkids, yeah. you know, the whole bit. That's but cool, the grandkids though. were kind of not in the shot in the spotlight, but we had <laughs> a, a great while. day. That's that's pretty cool. So. Okay, here we go. So let's just get the, the awkwardness out the way. So I didn't even know this until I read a little bio earlier was that you were the quarterback's coach in the Indiana, with the Indianapolis Colts in Super Bowl forty four, where your team was fourteen and two in the regular season and you eventually lost to the Super Bowl to a yeah. thirteen and three New Orleans Saints team. Yeah. How was that possible? You guys were favored by most of the experts all week long. What, what went wrong that day? I love the fact that you just hit me right in the face with this to start. <laughs> that's the way to go. I mean, that's the way to bring it strong. Um, you know, we did. We had we had a lead, I believe, at halftime, and they came out of that, 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 that fake onside, you know, surprise onside kick, you know, uh, called by uh, Coach Payton, start the second half, really turned the tide, you know, really turned the tide. But um, we were, I was just talking about that with a couple guys last night, that, that game, but couple of the Eagles guys about the difficulty of losing the Super Bowl. It's rough. You know, it's a rough feeling. It's a bad game to lose. Yeah, I've I've lost too. Um flipping it, I'll give you this is a layup though. Like how was it, you know, your first coaching gig, 2006-2007, you were one of the I think quarterbacks or quality I was just control. an I had kind of been an off-season intern. Was that not actually there during the season, but had been there in the off-season. So the real first experience of it on field, as far as the victory, was in Philadelphia in '17. Mm -hmm. um, I did do that internship when they won it in uh, in '7, um, but the true experience was in '17 with the Eagles. Yeah, the because you were on staff, not on staff with the Bears, Colts, and I was on the field with the Bears at the time and. Uh, to to answer the question or follow up with it, yeah, it sucks. I still haven't yeah. gotten over my two Super Bowl losses. I'm like 0-2 with Peyton Manning. I don't yeah. even like Peyton Manning <laughs> because he's just, like, destroyed us in, in Super Bowls, man. I just, uh Why did you bring that up? And he he never lets me live that down. No, because I, I literally you won got my one. one. And, you know, the onside kick, like you talked about, we have practiced that so oh, many times, God. and I was supposed to recover it. But your guys, uh, I'm not going to bring his name up, but kind of touched it. And then yeah. it went, it, it, it kind of went awry. Yeah. But that's why you onside kick it to the Saints sideline, because we knew if if anything goes wrong, we wanted to be on our sideline so we could get the refs and be arguing like it was us. Yeah. And that was back in the day when you couldn't pull guys out of the pile. Was that one of those one where just the, the kickoff team knew it was coming? Did you guys tell anybody else? Or did, like, did everyone know it was a pregame? Like, you never even heard the backstory. <laughs> okay, all right, Fred, here we go. So we get into halftime. You know it's an extended period sure. at um, in halftime. Sean comes over to the defense because most of the defense is on the kickoff team. He said, I'm running the su surprise onside. And we're like, yeah, okay, whatever. Just yeah. like, and we thought he would change by the time yeah. we actually went out there. And he was like, I'm still calling it. Like, it's still up. We're wow. running ambush. And we were like, all right, let's go. So my, I don't think I even got nervous because yeah. I had recovered it so many times and practiced it. And then when the play went awry, like, we had never practiced that. We didn't know what was going to happen if it, Unbelievable. if it went wrong. And it went wrong. 
and we just happened to fall on it. So uh, it, it kind of went crazy. But yes, that is a whole backstory. Sean came in the beginning. He said he was going to do it at halftime. As soon as we went in there, he was so confident with it. And we were like, all right, let's do it. And uh, we knew we needed to do something because we literally had not stopped the Colts all day. You guys. Yeah. I also think in that game, if you remember, uh, you know, we got a little you know, at the end of the first half, if I remember correctly, we we, we got a little conservative. You did. You and, went with a fullback dive. You should yeah. have just stayed pedal on the metal because yeah, we, we hadn't slowed you down at all. I, I know. I know. I still <laughs> we still regret that one a little bit. But <laughs> those are the only things that really changed that whole game. That's awesome. Um, all right. Well, here we go. Let's go to currently. So, what drew you to Carolina, besides your former, you know, playing there, all those other things? What really drew you? to this opportunity because yeah, I, I know when David Tepper talked about it he mentioned you know the other candidates and he said look when Frank Wright came in he had it nailed down of a, a future plan yeah his his vision was something that everybody could just get behind immediately yeah and really what I felt when I walked into that room in the interview was mm -hmm. like I felt like we were working I mean like I there was an instant connection mm -hmm. you know with the Teppers with with Dave and Nicole Tepper with Scott Fitter you know the GM um, with the whole crew that was there and you know it just felt like a conversation it didn't feel like an interview and uh, that in both the first interview and the second interview so um, obviously I played there lived there for 13 years so I already felt like home my children mm -hmm. are living in North Carolina um, but the commitment and just hearing, you know, Mr. Tepper talk about, okay, you know, he and Nicole had been owners now for a number of years, but hey, they're ready to put the pedal to the metal. Let's go. Um, the commitment from them, that's a big deal. Yeah, it is. And so this is your second opportunity as a head coach. Yeah. And maybe you could give us a little bit insight of some things that you learned from your first experience that you will be different and how in. How would you treat this from different overall as well? Yeah, I mean, it's it's unbelievable. Uh, how I don't want to say it's it's easy. It's not yeah. easy, but like when you first become a head coach the first time, it's it is a little bit like drinking you know water from a fire hose, mm -hmm. right? I mean, it, it's it can be overwhelming. There's so much stuff going on. Uh, this time around, it just felt like okay, let's go. I, Seasoned I, vet. I, I know what we're doing. This yeah. is version 2.0. You know, right. you, you get to uh, debug things, right? It's yeah. like an app. You know, you get version two. Um, it's updated, it's improved. You, you, you got out the bad program. You know, for me, you know, that, that was just a question of understanding the chemistry of the staff, you know, understanding, you know, the team we're trying to build. And that's what we were able to go in and paint that vision for Mr. Tepper. So what's, what's been the toughest thing being a head coach? Like say your, your first time, like I was, we just asked Doug that, you know, everyone has that welcome to the NFL moment as a player. What was your welcome to the NFL moment as a coach? as a head coach. Yeah, I mean, I think it's, you know, you're no longer just calling the plays, you know, you, you're over every aspect of the of the football operations. So that's both the, you know, welcome to the, <clears throat> excuse me, welcome to the NFL. But honestly, for me, that was like what I wanted. Like, yeah. that was like, I couldn't wait for that. I felt like I was made for that. So, um, you know, to, to learn, to go in, to dive in with the defense, you know, get to know the defensive players, get, mm -hmm. you know, get in defensive meetings with the coaches, you know, understand. I'm not trying to micromanage what the defense right, is right. doing, but you really got to put your hand and touch on every part of the team. Yeah, Doug talked about that. He said, like, you know, he remembered, like, oh, man, I'm not just calling him offense play. I got to switch over to the defense. Right. Just, like, listen in. And um, it really is different. Was, was your main goal always to be a head coach? Or, like, when did that decision – come in the factor like, you know what, I'm going to coach. I want to be a head coach. Well, naturally, you want to be probably the best. 
which is the head coach you want to be the lead guy, especially playing quarterback. When did that happen for you? Like when I was like six, you know, I mean, <laughs> I'm not kidding. I mean, okay. I came from a family of coaches, you know, uh, okay. um, yeah. so, no, I wanted to be a player first, you know, like all of us, right? We wanted mm -hmm. to play. But um, when I was in 1985, my rookie season, um, Bill Polian came up to me after the season was over, who was the general manager at the time. And he said, you're going to play a long time as a, as a player. And then when you finish, you're going to be a head coach in this. You're going to be a head coach in this league. That was in 1985 after my rookie season. So, you know, having a guy like that come up to you. Yeah. Um, I come from a family of coaches. My dad was a head co high school coach. My mom was a coach. What did like, your mom coach? She, yeah. she coached everything. She coached <laughs> field hockey, cheerleading, awesome. uh, track and field. I okay. mean, you know, she was the the ultimate uh, high school teacher. I can yes. coach anything. <laughs> yeah. So my brother's a head coach. You know, I, I just think I'm I've wired that way, been yes, brought yeah. up that way. So, um, but the thing is, you guys know this, you know, seeing it from the player side that, you know, as a coach, you, you don't want to be that guy who's coming in just trying to climb the ladder. So I never took it like that. I honestly right. didn't. I, I knew, hey, because I played 14 years. So, and then I took seven years where I was out of football before I got, so I didn't get back into coaching until I was really in my mid 40s. So did I ever think I'd make it? I, I didn't know. I was just going to take it year by year, do the best I could, and hope that it worked out. So when you got away from football, you said for seven years, right? Yeah. What What were you doing in, in that time? Uh, we often ask players. Doug said he 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 never took time off. He, he, he went out, straight. He went in. right into coaching. You took a year off. I didn't take a year off. Yeah. I wish I would have took a year off. Like, what did you do, and what made you just decide to stay away from the game? Yeah. So. Uh, I had opportunities to go into coaching right away, but mm -hmm. I, uh, as we talked about earlier at the, at the onset of the program, I have three young daughters. You know, I think when I finished, they were like nine, seven, and and four. So uh, I knew once you get into coaching, man, it's a hundred plus hours a week. And yeah. I was like, all right, I know I want to coach, but I want to help raise my children first. Mm -hmm. You know, so I wanted to help them with homework, go to swim meets, you know, all that stuff. So I said, I'm going to take a couple years really invest into my family, my children. Um, you know, my wife and I could do some things together because mm -hmm. once you get into coaching things, it's, it's a commitment. And then we also, you know, I also, you know, I went into full-time ministry. And so I was able to kind of keep my own schedule, um, did a lot of traveling and speaking. So that was the combination of things that I did for those few years. So now that you are a head coach, um, every coach has their philosophy. Every coach has their saying of what they think the team should be. We obviously know in Carolina is to keep pounding. I played in Carolina. We both played in Carolina for a year. Well, you played two. I played one. Um, what has been your philosophy or what is your philosophy like going into the season? Yeah, no, it, the keep pounding thing is a way to to talk about what we've always talked about um, for me. And that's that, that keep pounding is a relentless pursuit for sustained excellence, mm -hmm. right? So we talked about that as an organization already with the Panthers, right? So we're, we're going to clearly define what keep pounding and that's a relentless pursuit for sustained excellence um yeah we all want the goal we all want the super bowl that we're talking about yeah, yeah. but th th we think the best way to get there is is to create that sustained excellence like a, create a high floor so that when the opportunities present itself to reach for those championships we're in striking distance so you're with the panthers now you guys have made the trade of the offseason. Let's just go ahead and call it what it is. Y'all been busy. It's, it's, yeah, we've been busy. Y'all been extremely busy. <laughs> Very busy. Yeah, I like the moves you're making, though. Yes. I like it. I like it. 
with this opportunity to draft a, a franchise quarterback, like all the pressure that comes with that, all the decision making, all of the 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 thought process, the mindset, the so many hours, the manpower to create all these things, this opportunity. Make could you just give us a little bit of insight? I'm not telling us to give us the pick, even though I think I know. <laughs> What's that give, process been yeah, like? What is just, that all just, of what that? has the process been like? Give me more all than of anything. That. Yeah, it's great. Um, you know, with Scott Fitter, the GM, Dan Morgan, assistant GM, the whole the whole crew. Uh, Mr. And Mrs. Tepper, they've been great. So the, the process is, you know, dive in, right? Scott and his crew, they, they already have the, they've been evaluating these quarterbacks for, you know, forever. So mm -hmm. I just get here. So I sit down, I listen to the, where, where are our scouts at? Where's Scott at on his view of all these quarterbacks mm -hmm. as we as a coaching staff begin to dive in? Now, hey, let's get out and meet these guys. Let's, you know, let's go to the pro days. Let's sit down, have dinner with them. We've let's, seen you. Yeah. <laughs> let, let's bring them into our building. You know, let's let's dig down deep and take every second, every hour, every day to finish and confirm what we believe from the very start of this process. And that's what we're doing. It's a lot of fun. These guys are all these guys are fun to hang out with. So, yeah, that's I. Yeah, I didn't. I didn't well, and, I didn't then, see and, that then, and then and then on top of that. Right, so you get that trade as, as we're talking about, and when you said about the moves, the big one was going to number one. But now this free agency thing, you know, Mr. Tepper just said, "Okay, let's go. Let's surround this guy with some playmakers: Miles Sanders, right, DJ Chark, Adam Thielen, you know, Hayden Hurst, right. Let's get some playmakers." Big around. Moves. So is he is, is so is the, is the owner is is he like super involved in like, hey, I want this guy, I want that guy? Is no, he he's uh, he's has his. You know, he's looking and hearing everything. Okay. He's, you know, he's obviously a brilliant guy and brilliant enough to know, hey, let Scott and I handle that. But he's involved in it. You know, he wants oh, to know. Sure. Yeah. Um, and in particular, I think he's involved in all the numbers and the cap and the contracts and how everything's set up. I think he has his hands on all that. Nice. So you, I, you know, we were talking earlier about your, uh, your, your coaching staff. You got, a, you got a lot of ex players. You got Josh. You got Deuce. You got D'Angelo. Hold on, Josh McCown. Let's put a name on it. Oh. Not everybody just knows John. You're right. My bad. I, I'm just, he yeah. played 18 years. We should. We should. Yeah. Yeah. like 15 teams. He was, he, was, I, he was one of my teammates. I was with him. He was with me in Chicago. I was I with his brother Luke in New Orleans. So I, yeah. I know Josh very well. Yes, but sure. your, your coaching staff, it has a lot of former players in it. Like, yeah. tell me what that process was like to hire those specific guys. Yeah. I mean, Deuce is the first guy I called because, you he know, was the first one on staff. Yeah. yeah. He, he was, you know, we were together in Philadelphia. And I just know, you know, I'm Mr. Even Keel. Listen, I'm not a yeller and screamer. Everybody knows that. I'm kind of even keel, mm -hmm. keep, you know, poised, you know, their intensity and all that. But I need Deuce's fire and brimstone. Deuce yeah. brings the fire and brimstone, <laughs> you know. So, um, and then brilliant offensive, you know, he's a brilliant offensive mind, but really has helped me when we were in Philadelphia in the run game. His perspective on some of the stuffs in the run game was really good. And in the protection world, which, you know, you have to be great at. Um, but I, overall, I just wanted to blend, right? Yeah. I like the former player thing, obviously. I think there's advantages to being a former player, but I also think there's advantages to the coaches who have been coaching since they've been 20. You yeah, know what right. I mean? Yeah, they right. bring a certain football acumen that a former player who played for four, these guys have been coaching ball all those years that we were playing. You yeah. know what I mean? So there's a certain advantage to that. So get the blend of that, old, young, get the whole thing. I just like that when Deuce, he yells so much, like he, he going to yell and give you everything it got to him. Yeah, yeah, so. Well, it was funny because when you saw NFL Hard Knocks, it really put, uh, like, 
uh, really shined a light on that whole Detroit staff yeah. and the staff with the stars. Yeah. And so we could talk about the players, but nobody cared. The, I the was players rooting are for NFL. the staff. We were rooted. Everybody was rooting for that staff, and Deuce really came out the box. I didn't realize how fiery he was yeah. until that whole it deal. Was him and Aaron, I was like, they was my two favorite people on the show. It was really good, my <laughs> yeah. man, A.G. Okay, Frank. So we, well, Coach Wright, sorry. No, you're good. Thank you. Um, <laughs> Please. <laughs> it's hard for me. I'm it's, from Alabama. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We, yeah, yeah it's, it's, it's so yeah. coach. Even yeah. though you're older and we're kind of, yeah, yeah I, I still say coach too. All right. Um, they want me to ask you about your Mount Rushmore, and I want to get to that. But I got to know this because you burst on my scene, and I became a fan of yours when I was a young man when you led the Buffalo Bills back with this big comeback in the playoffs. Like that is the Frank, greatest comeback. That ever. is who Frank Wright was known for for the longest time. And now you're the head coach. How has that been this transition of like, all right, this is what I'm known for this backup. That was the Macklin comeback forever. And now the head coach that's going to go and lead this program and this organization to hopefully win a Super Bowl. Yeah. I mean, I think it's a great, uh, I think it's a great background to step into this position, you know, mm -hmm. because I knew, Right, I was a part of that team. I was the backup quarterback. Right, you know, I was just the back. I was a backup guy. Right. Yeah. So, um, and I know that when you have a comeback like that, it ain't one guy. It's the whole team. Yeah, right. Yeah. So now, as the head coach, that's really what I want to accentuate. Right. I mean, mm -hmm. yeah. Listen, we know uh, we talk about the coaching staffs and how good our coaching staff is in the Detroit, but you guys know more than anything. This is a player's game. It now. is. Yeah. It's a player's game. I always tell the coaches, I mean, I always tell the coaches, it's it's like 10 to 20% coaching and it's 80 or 90% players making plays. But we got to put those guys in the best position. Um, and so, you know, I just think that background for me, but you got to put all these guys together, coaches and players, and it's got to be a team. Mm -hmm. I mean, it's it's got to be all about the team. And I think I've witnessed that and experienced that with some of the teams I've been with. All right, now. Your Mount Rushmore of influence on your life. Ooh. You get four, all right? Who are those? Who are those four that are up there on that hill? Okay, well, you know, I obviously, you know, have to start, uh, you know, with my mom and dad. I'm putting those together. I'm, I'm cheating. Sorry. Okay, all right. <laughs> okay. We let you cheat on here. We, we can do what you want. Podcast. You know, um, <laughs> but you know, in particular, I'm assuming this is football related, um, and so. Those are your coaches. No, these it doesn't have to be. It football doesn't have related. to be football it's, related. It's just okay. what made you you today. These four people made me me. Perfect. So, okay, so it's, it's, it starts there, right? The group in one. And okay. um, more. and I and I do think I I, I do think uh, the influence they had on me that I'm a blend of the two of them. Mm -hmm. As a coach, man, I just idolized my dad. You know, he was a stud, man. He was he was a stud player. He was a stud coach. Um, he was a winner, and you know, he was the. He's a man's man. He like played with no face mask, broke his, you know, he's just a tough I love dude. Him. Like I don't, <laughs> yeah. I don't cuss very much or almost not at all, but like I want to say when he was a tough man, he was yeah, a tough yeah. dude. Tough right? SOB. Yeah. He was a tough, yes he was. And this game is about toughness, right? Yeah, so is. I just feel like that, he put that in my soul, right? He yeah. put that in my soul. Um, as far as coaches, the two coaches, uh, you know, it's got to be, the two other people would be uh, Marv Levy, right? So yeah. played for Marv, he, you know, head coach. Um, you know, just an incredible person. Like he knew how to push every button. He was cerebral, but he was just connected with players. He was an older man, but yeah. yet he had a way to connect with he everybody. Had a ton on the of team. great highlight films, just the NFL films. Just, yeah. just watching him talk. Just and, watching him. Just watching him talk and say things on yeah. the sidelines. Great highlights. I've had a chance yeah. to meet him twice. I've never met him. Yeah. I've, yeah. 
I was like, man, that's more. That's like, well, and he's from, he, I mean, from Chicago, you know, it was in Chicago yeah. for a long time. Yeah. So, um, but him and then kind of his partner in crime, you know, Bill Polian, who was the yes. GM. Mm -hmm. um, and then, you know, he was the guy that drafted me. He was the guy when we went to Carolina, when, uh, when he went to Carolina as the GM, you know, he signed me as a free agent to be the first quarterback in Panthers history. I mean, just for a couple games until Kerry Collins would take over <laughs> since he was the fifth pick in the draft. You didn't even have to say that. But, just, uh, we'll, we'll take that off. Yeah. <laughs> but Bill, everywhere I've been in my football career, Bill Polian's stamp is on it, right? He's been mm -hmm. like a football father to me in many respects. So that's three. And then, of course, who made me today is my wife, you know. Mm -hmm. um, you know, my wife, we've been married 36 years. Um, you know, you go this journey of the NFL, it's a crazy journey, right? There's high highs, there's low lows. You got to have a center. You know, you got to be centered in on things. So, you know, our relationship has been a real foundation for me mm -hmm. of strength and peace. That's awesome. That's awesome. And not only that, the woman can dress. Like, I'm telling you, <laughs> for those that didn't see it, go back out and watch the press conference. It was beautiful. The yeah. family was beautiful. Thank you. Um, uh, so I, here's my last question for you, Frank. What was your coach? Coach, coach sorry. <laughs> and Peanut kind of already talked about this as the head coach, but I want to know your welcome to the NFL moment as a player as well. Like mine was my rookie year in training camp, where I looked up one of the injured guys. He had shades on his underneath his helmet while riding a bicycle. I was like, man, this is like, this is the league. Like yeah. this guy's big time. I want you to tell me what it was like in the in the 80s, like the 80s. Okay, well, it, 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 when football the, was real. Yeah, it was like. Okay, when football was real. And I'm going to, this is really, you guys know this when you see the old film, but like when football was real, when we came into a halftime, we came in halftime of our very first game in the NFL. And uh, I'm not going to mention any names because not that it matters, but. I come in, one of my teammates, they just lit up a cigarette. cigarettes. <laughs> He's smoking yeah. a cigarette at halftime. And I'm like, okay. That's awesome. <laughs> Welcome to the NFL. Oh, my goodness. You know? But oh. one other quick one, if I could just, you know, for me, the real first moment, like, welcome to the NFL. Um, my very first preseason game was against Chicago and Walter Payton, you know, and I'm on the field warming up, and there was Walter Payton. And this is a guy that I idolized. I mean, I just – I couldn't believe it. I yeah. was on the same field as Walter Payton. That was incredible. That's that's awesome. Yeah. yeah. We always have that, man. That's, that's beautiful. Thank you so much, Frank. All right. Exciting times ahead for Carolina Panthers, obviously with Frank Wright at the helm. And really exciting news, just, you know, now that they have the first overall right. pick. I think I know what they're going to pick at quarterback, but that's up to them. What do you think, Peanut? I think they're gonna do something good. We already know what they're gonna do. They're gonna pick a quarterback. So let's 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 just lay it out for him to play it out. Thank you for tuning in. I'm Peanut Tillman. That's my guy Roman Harper. We appreciate y'all. Thanks for listening. Today's episode is brought to you by the American Society of Magical Negroes, a fresh satirical comedy about a secret society of magical black people starring Justice Smith, David Allen Greer, Anne Lee Bogan, and Nicole Byer. As an official selection of Sundance 2024, the American Society of Magical Negroes has been heralded by critics as an uproariously sharp-edged satire and a must-see. Only in theaters this Friday. Visit the American Society of Magical Negroes Film.com to get tickets now. 
This is Tracy V. Wilson from Stuff You Missed in History Class. The national sales event is on at your Toyota dealer, making now the perfect time to get a great deal on a dependable new car. Like a legendary Camry built for performance and available with all-wheel drive, you can count on your new Camry to get anywhere you need to go. Or check out an affordable and reliable Corolla with a trim for every lifestyle. From the hip sedan to the sporty hatchback, there's a Corolla built just for you. Check out more national sales event deals when you visit buyatoyota.com. Toyota, let's go places. Whether it's your first time betting or you've been gambling for years, have a plan and know the game. Be aware of the rules and odds before you gamble. Set a budget and never gamble with money you can't afford to lose. Take a break and consider teaming up with trusted friends to help you stick to your budget. Remember, if you or a loved one has a gambling problem, call 1-800-GAMBLER 24-7 or go to helpmygamblingproblem.org for free confidential services. Are you self-conscious about your smile due to stains? Have you ever wished that you had a whiter and brighter smile? Smile Actives is a safe and affordable alternative to expensive whitening procedures. You simply add Smile Actives gel to your toothpaste every time you brush your teeth, making it the easiest teeth whitening solution out there. In a clinical trial, Smile Actives users reported up to five shades whiter on average, all within seven days. No change to your routine, no extra time. Right now, they are running a buy one, get one offer. Hurry to smileactives.com iHeart today to receive this special offer with free shipping and handling.